0: It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If If you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media so if you do that then please do look for me Jono White to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better? How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Lisa Asquith. And Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Before we press record, we were just chatting around investing in people and engagement. And I, I, uh, I really love um, how you think about leadership. So I'm excited to have you on.
1: Ah, thank you so much, John. A real pleasure to be here. And uh, I love being able to reach out and talk to so many different people who have, have that moment in time to listen to something that might actually help them that they want to know a little bit more about. So I love talking about leadership and engaging people for success.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, So first of all, can you give our listeners a bit of an idea of uh, a bit more about who you are, who Lisa is and and where you're based and what you do?
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, because my my career is a little bit confusing to some as well, because I've moved around a bit and I've moved countries too. So as you can hear from my accent, I'm Australian, grew up born and bred in Adelaide. And I do love Adelaide, didn't want to move out in a big hurry, kept being asked to go to places like Sydney or over to America and they just didn't really appeal. So I stayed and worked for companies where head office was Sydney but lived in Adelaide and I just really had a great chance to move through everything from sales, sales training, big pharmaceutical companies into cross-border trade, restructuring and really ultimately through that process learning a lot about people because you're dealing with so many different elements of big businesses that move in different ways. Different people have different thought patterns, different experiences. So my career moved through that sales management, sales training to regional management, which exposed me to lots of different things. And I put my hand up quite a lot to learn extra. So I would do the leadership training, I would do the HR training, the extra things that some people didn't really have time for, or didn't want to have time for. And I think that gave me a really broad perspective, which is what's brought me to where I am today, which is in the consulting space. I left the big um, global businesses and the nice corporate packages and went into consulting because I had so many of the clients I was working with saying to me, look, we can see all the money you're making for these big global businesses, all the changes that you're doing, all the good things that work, but we want you to come to our level, to the SMEs and help us too. And obviously when I'm employed as a corporate, I can't do that. So I took that big step and joined the consulting world, which has been absolutely fantastic, and the space that I've lived in for the last 12 years, which has taken me across to Singapore and working globally, where I get exposed to every type of industry you could possibly imagine with a really diverse range of problems, whether they be cross-border, internal, people-based structure, and I get to learn so much but also do so much. And I love really being at that point where I can fix those problems and help people succeed. And that's what makes my day at work.
0: Yeah, I love that. And uh, for those who are listening, I'll make sure that I ask you a little bit later on, Lisa, about how people can get in contact, because as we chat, there may well be some leaders listening who go, oh, this might be, Lisa might be the person that I need to connect with. Uh, Uh So I'll make sure we do that before we finish the podcast. Um, What I'd love to do first, though, is just get a bit of a window into, what led to Lisa becoming who you are today? So feel free to tell us as far back as you want into, you know, childhood stories. What are some of, the, um, are some of those moments that really shaped you becoming the leader you are today?
1: Yeah, I think there's probably a few of those along the journey as, as you get a bit older and you do things and you see things and you think through things. I think, but for me, from a, a very young age, I knew what I didn't want. And I guess I'd grown up in a situation where I'd seen that and I made that choice very early on that I'm not going to be like that. And so for me, it was always to to push myself to do things and not make excuses. And I think um, that pushed me very quickly into leadership roles. And if I'm being realistic right now with myself and trying to take off the blinders and look back and be honest, I would say that probably pushed me to leadership roles too soon. Because whilst I might have had the mental legitimately and capability, I don't think looking back I really had the understanding, the social skills, the ability to be empathetic with my teams and help lead them, that you really need to have true success. So I think what shaped me early on in my leadership time was jumping into that first leadership role and having worked with a leader who was very well accepted, very well seen, well thought after, and could pretty much say and do what they needed, when they needed, and it all just seemed to work. And I think when you go into your first role, you don't realise how much effort it takes to get to that point in your leadership career. And so that first role for me was pretty rocky. You know, I might have had the title and I could do the job really well. I could get the customers in. I could do all of that. I was in a sales-based arena. But working with my teams was where I wasn't so great. And for me, that was a really big eye-opener. And I think it's that step from being that individual contributor where you're driven and you do and you know you're good at it to really stepping back and helping other people become like that, but in a way that supports their own needs. So for me, that was a big eye-opener. And I think that set very early for me, that question in my mind of what do I really need to do to be a great leader and be able to work with people? And it's not just the title. It's not just the authority. And this is going back 20 years ago now, believe it or not, where sometimes that's all you did need. But I think for me, I saw that bigger picture quite early on and have focused over the years. On developing that side of my leadership character. And that's been a really big thing to keep me moving forward.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful to hear. And I think there'd be a lot of listeners leaning in who are individual contributors, but want to lead, and that's why they're listening, or they're, they've, re- they've recently made the transition and they're going, oh my goodness, this is, what is this? I know that was me. I felt so naive a few months in when I realized I have no idea how to lead people I I just everything I assumed it seems to have been wrong and it's way harder than I thought and you actually have to build teams and um, it's not just things people say (laughs) you learn the hard way so I'm interested to know do you remember any any specific moments in that time in your career when you were making that first transition in that rocky first role were there any moments that really stand out as uh, (laughs) aha moments where you saw someone else doing something great and you thought that's what I need to be like or where you self-reflected and went, you know, you just as we all do at times, you made a big mess and went, oh, my goodness, I need to I need to find out how to do this better.
1: <laughs> Look, there's probably a bit of both of me in the middle there. And I think one of the really big aha home, home moments for me was a lady who was one of my team in the sales arena. And she was probably a little bit more delicate than some, to be honest, you know, looking back. But she could sell and, you know, she could do it and I'd go out and field with her and we'd have a great day and would sell a lot and she would feel really good. But then she'd have a week where she just couldn't do it again. And I think for me early on, I missed that coaching opportunity and looking back, and this is where I met another manager at the time who was brilliant at this. She was really, really good at bringing out those questions and helping coach someone to develop their own success. I was still falling back onto being that individual contributor and when this lady was falling over during the sales call, I was automatically picking her up. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was probably her and my own worst enemy at that point in time. I needed to take that step back and help coach her through those a lot more rather than saving her. And, you know, whilst a lot of managers go, yeah, but you save the bottom line, it didn't save the staff member because after a few months she just couldn't cope. Hmm. She kept falling over and she had to leave. She, she resigned herself. So for me that was a really big aha moment. I missed my opportunity as a leader to be a great coach and help her through that because I was still too much stuck in that individual contributor mode.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's so profound and I think anyone listening will be able to resonate with that and that, uh, that temptation, particularly when you are first in that role and you just want to be successful and you have someone in your team and they're struggling and, and you just think, well, helping them ultimately looks like jumping in and Uh, doing it for them Uh, you're not even thinking about it necessarily that way but that's what you do what advice would you give to let's start with those who are in that individual contributor type of time that they're in that role at the moment they're only a couple of years out of that sort of role and they're questioning whether they can even be a leader what advice would you give someone to transition from the individual contributor mindset to a a leader mindset
1: I think one of the biggest things that I've seen be successful for a lot of my clients, um, particularly, you know, the clients who have moved into this space where they're just starting to lead or they've been there a while and they just know that something's not right, is actually focus on being a coach. And it's a really funny one because a lot of people turn around and go, yeah, but I, I've got no idea about soccer or football or anything else, so I'm not a coach. And It's like, yeah, but the skills a coach has are key to being a sensational leader. Because a great coach can challenge your assumptions in a way that never makes you feel bad about yourself. But it always highlights something that you can do to get better. They are brilliant at their questioning skills and they question in a way that doesn't micromanage, but it gently guides and directs. It uncovers gaps and it helps people succeed. So I always recommend people, if you're moving into that space, if you're a leader right now and you've got a team and you're just not feeling like you're communicating well with them, Start developing your coaching skills, whether you go online, whether you look for a course, whether you find a mentor, whatever works for you personally. But once you start uncovering the right questions, and if you're an online fan, literally jump on and Google Grow. It's an old, old model of how to question properly. It's been around 30 years. But you know what? It works. And all the information is there. It can step you through four key ways to have a discovery conversation with your people that, yes, might take you an extra 10 minutes than it does to tell them what to do, but it gives you so much information, it strengthens your ability to ask the right questions and help guide your people in the right direction without missing opportunities. So develop those coaching muscles, those key questions, and you'll find that your leadership really starts to take off.
0: Yeah, I, so GROW is a is a great model for people to check out, and that's goal yes. reality options will is that the one is by john whitmore hey, well
1: done <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah so make sure people check out uh, that model by um, by john whitmore the grow model that's fantastic <laughs> advice lisa um now i i'm interested to know oh actually i'm sorry i just wanted to share one thing i heard the other day and i, I can't remember who told it to me otherwise i would um uh give i, I definitely didn't come up with it but it was this saying that a manager is a manager is someone who you walk out of the room with them and you think, "Wow, they're so smart! Like they're so brilliant." Mm-hmm. A leader is a person where you walk out of the room and think, "I'm I'm so like I can really do this. I've got this. I you know I've got the ability to do this." And I love that difference between um, if you want to just manage people, then you you maintain that seeming like the expert, but a leader actually invest in their people in such a way that they they're built up and they actually walk out of a of a meeting with you a coaching session feeling empowered and and actually feeling like yeah I can do this and I I love that um, differentiation yeah
1: it's it's a really really good one and it look I see it play out so often because at the end of the day the the people out there in our workforce now you know what they've changed from 25 30 years ago their needs are also really different. So where the old school command and control managers had success back some time ago, people aren't there anymore for a job for life. They don't want to be told what to do to get to the next level. They actually want to be valued and they want to be able to give value back to the business as well, which is a really new concept in terms of how our employees relate back into a business. And this is our millennial mindset and we know now that by 2025, 75% of our workforce are going to be these people with these belief patterns. So we really have to move to that leadership space. So we're not telling someone anymore. We're supporting them to achieve. We're recognising their values and their needs. And particularly, we're focusing in on their learning and development needs. They want to go to the next level because our new generation of workers, they know that their jobs aren't there for life. They know a career might be two years or five years, and that during that time, they're going to need to upskill because technology is changing so rapidly. We can't sit complacently anymore. So we constantly see now with all the big global surveys that the number one need for the new workforce isn't actually money or job title anymore. That's drop down. It's actually the ability to have a leader that helps you learn and develop yourself. And that's where great leadership really sits. Wow, and as you were saying at the beginning of this part, yeah, it all links in really well.
0: That's incredible. That having a leader who really supports you and invests in you. I, I once again, <laughs> I, I feel like these things all um, combine in my mind uh, because otherwise, I'd love to, to um, remember exactly where I saw this. But it was, it was a similar survey, and it was, I think, um, money or salary was number five on the list, and I just remember looking at that, and going, "Oh, that is." Um, but I, that didn't articulate what you just said, which is a, a step further, which is what's really starting to matter is the support and investment from a leader that they're working with.
1: Absolutely. And if you're looking at the big global companies now, they're investing heavily, not just in learning and development for their people, but in really serious leadership training for their leaders, particularly focusing on empathy and the ability to relate with their people. They're not investing on the pure capability side. They're not looking at training people in math or anything else. It's really the emotional connection ability to their people, to be able to guide people to success through supporting them. So things have changed a lot in the last fifteen years.
0: Yeah, and and I really feel for um, I really feel for leaders where they they feel like they've been operating on narrow margins, maybe in the bottom line, but also across their across their world. And then over the past decade, uh, I think some leaders are just, things are getting to a point where they're going, I have to change something because I can't keep my best people or I can't um, differentiate Mm -hmm. from the competition. The thing that that was working is now officially not working and I have to do something. What what advice would you give, particularly if there's a leader out there who's thinking, oh, Lisa, that's so true. I'm not I'm not supporting my people as well as I need to, but I'm just so overwhelmed myself with everything on my own to-do list. How, how do I do that better? What advice would you give to someone who really wants to improve in that but, but feeling uh, strapped for time maybe for yeah, time yeah. and money?
1: <laughs> it's a big space and quite often the question I get is not only are they strapped for time, but you're right, they're functioning on low margin. So they see things like training and development as a scary cost that they can't deal with right now. And that holds them back even further. And, you know, there's an old saying that, um, and I've I've just forgotten who said it, but I'm sure we could easily Google it and find out. You know, with training particularly, you know, what if we don't train them and they stay? And you've got to think about that for a second. If we don't train them and they stay with your business, because the argument always is, what if we train them and they leave and we've invested so much money? But what if we don't and they stay? if you don't train them and they stay with you, is your business getting any benefit? Are the people getting any benefit? The answer is no. And quite often they're driving you backwards. And that's where these managers are often trapped because they're in a rock and a hard place. They've got the poor margins. They don't have time themselves. So one of the best things I can say that needs to be done at this point is look internal. You have more resources and you realize that don't cost you anything. So I always start with simple things. Now, we can look at cross-functional working teams. We can pull people out during the work day to work together to work on initiatives, and that initiative can be around L&D. It could be around continuous improvement. You know, it could be a CSR project. But the thing here is starting the collaboration so that you can start to build working teams that can help you drive forward to successful outcomes. And you might want to start on something simple like a charity drive, something that everyone can get involved in. But as soon as you start breaking down those those barriers, you start to develop more of a culture in your business that supports each other. And that's where that overwhelmed manager on the low margins can start to see people working together and start to pick projects that will strengthen the core and you can slowly move forward from there. But cross-functional working teams, internal mentoring are two of the strongest tools I've seen to really start to turn around a business. And they don't cost you.
0: Yeah, uh, along the same lines, what I've seen, which I've really loved, is organizations where they've wanted to create a culture of peer to peer coaching, and and approaching it from exactly mm-hmm. like you said around um, thinking how often do we how often do we need a sounding board how often. Uh, and also at the same time, realizing that if we can invest in internal mentoring, if we can invest in uh, a, a culture where we coach each other um, and, and think less about job title and who I'm reporting to, and more about how can we help each other get the best out of out of each other and as a team, then what you also get is empathy because the more you learn to coach and mentor and um, cross-functional teams I love that because when you're in those teams and particularly if you're breaking down some silos and bringing some really great people who think differently into a team that's that because of job titles and because of projects they're normally you know it's more about being consistent but you bring in a real innovative thinker from another group you you're you're sort of just pushing into things like empathy and uh, just by just by creating those spaces that's going to help raise, I think, increase the water level a little bit when it comes to empathy and when it comes to uh, people asking more questions of each other and not just staying silent.
1: Absolutely. And it's a really interesting one because I love how it breaks down barriers and improves the empathy, creates relationships that weren't there previously. But there was a really interesting global study done, I think it's about a year and a half ago now, by Giant International, And they found that the average team, right, we've got lots of teams in big businesses, but the average team only functions at about 57% of its capability, which is kind of scary because we're paying people at 100%. So there's a pretty big gap there and lots of room for improvement. But the reason for that is because the average team gets used to listening to the one voice. You know, that one person who drives them forward. So everyone else's capabilities naturally drop away as they get used to the one voice. And so if you're putting cross-functional working teams into your business, you're immediately capitalising on this big gap because you've got new voices coming into the equation, new ideas, new thoughts, new ways of doing things. So I think it's one of those really key things that a lot of businesses, particularly those who are busy and cash-strapped, don't realise how much benefit they can really get from starting them.
0: Yeah, and and I, I love uh, that you're giving some advice around some free things to to start with. You know, try try doing this when there's not a big cost involved. Just start a project like this. Build a cross functional team. Um, do some training. Use some people internally who are passionate. I have a um, a client that I work with who has a a team member who is really passionate about coaching. Now, there's nothing in their role around coaching but they've given them sort of the project around creating a culture of coaching because they're so passionate about it and now it is part of their role and and I think that's a great first step what are you what are your resources you have what resources do you already have internally i know you're really passionate about engaging people and i hear from a lot of leaders a disappointment and discouragement around how on earth do you engage your how on earth do you really truly engage your people um, what, what advice would you give to leaders coming into 2022 around increasing engagement?
1: Yeah, look, for me, it's really about go to the floor and ask the question. You know, we can do all of these big tools, which are great. You know, there's 360 degree feedback surveys, there's culture surveys, and they're all fantastic for helping you pinpoint where your problems are and where your opportunities are. But the, when you get that, you still got to go back to the floor and talk to your people. And this is what I say to most leaders, you know, you, you've got this gap because you are, you're busy. You know, and if you've got two or 3,000 staff, you can't talk to all of them. But you've got to find a way for their voices to be heard. And the frontline staff typically are more than 60% of most businesses, yet most leaders wouldn't know who they are. So look at closing that gap first. If you're looking to develop that culture, engage your people, Make sure that the people on the front lines know their voices are heard. Now, it can be through the old-fashioned Dropbox surveys, it could be through an intranet system, it could be through a quarterly meeting. You know, there's all different options that you can do, none of which are overly expensive, but you can start to engage your front line. And when you start to do that, you'll start to see change because you'll be getting the true issues, the true answers, the true ideas, and that can make all the difference.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I'm wondering, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. <laughs> I'm Just wondering if you have any yeah, any yep. stories, um, maybe if you change the names or change the locations, or if uh, that it might be the sort of story where it's really good and they'd be happy for you to share. But any stories that come to mind of clients of yours um, that you've worked with where they've had some great success around engagement, they've had they've really changed their culture to support their people, and how that's had wider effects in the company, how it's improved bottom line, how it's improved company culture, um, how they got there and any um any stories that come to mind, Lisa?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I guess going back to my time in Australia, I've worked with quite a few big businesses just from that, that pure perspective but one of the ones that stands out probably a little bit more than most um, was a pharmacy chain. And quite a large one, Um, the turnover was in the hundreds of millions of dollars, just to give you a bit of a a picture of size. There were several thousand staff spread out across different states in Australia. And the company had done really well. You know, they'd started up 40 years previous, they'd kept scaling, kept growing, buying new sites, all of that kind of stuff. You know, the good stuff that you want to hear about a company being successful. But despite continued investment, they sort of hit this peak where they just couldn't get their profits any further. And so this was one where I went in and I investigated the business and went through what was happening. And it was a bit of a dual effect, but mostly it came back to engaging their people. As they'd scaled quickly, their structure had kind of missed the point. So I had to fix the structure and the alignment internally to make that work. But more importantly, the frontline staff who used to feel part of the business when the business was smaller, and these people had stayed around. It's a type of industry, retail, pharmacy A lot of your store managers, your more senior staff, they're there for many years. The juniors come and go every few years, but there's a fairly strong senior staff group. And they just lost contact with the the main vision of the business, the, the drive, the owners, everyone that they'd known when they'd first started. So it was a matter of going back to that and actually opening those communication channels again. And what we found when we did that was that it wasn't that the staff hated the business or that the market was different or anything else that was causing this cap on earnings. It was that the staff just hadn't been trained and upskilled in 10 years. The assumption was they'd been there for so long they knew their job. But the marketplace had changed a bit and some of the margins had shrunk. So they had to reassess how they laid out a pharmacy, which retail stock they put where, you know, how they did their rosters. They had to change that a bit as well. And then some basic understanding around co-op and investment from external providers into the business and how that was used. And once all those markers were hit, the profits went up within six months. (laughs) And that was just because the people that they knew would always be there and who supported them and loved them had just been disconnected from the top of the business. So that's where that engaging your people becomes so crucial and can turn a business around. And in fact, the main owner of that business said to me, he goes, Lisa, why didn't I listen to you six months ago when you first highlighted this with me? We could have made this revenue back six months ago. <laughs> so, yeah. well, we got there in the end though.
0: <laughs> that's right. Um, that's, that's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing. Um, I know you've given a couple of examples, but I can just imagine there'd be leaders listening really hungry to know what they can do. And anecdotally, I love the fact that how many times do we hear stories of great leaders and there's that one of the attributes that comes out again and again is that connection to the, to the frontline workers, in, particularly in larger companies. So what can, say there are leaders, whether they're, maybe they're a school leader with 100, 100 staff or maybe they're leading an organization with um, you know, 5,000 staff, what, what can they do What are are some things, I know you've mentioned a couple already, but what what are some practical things they can do to reconnect with their people on the front line?
1: Yeah, look, there's apart from the, the pure black and white tool type of things that we've mentioned, I think look a little bit personally on this one as well and look internally and practice being an authentic leader because people want to see your authenticity to be able to connect with you. And if you look at people who are considered authentic leaders, they are brilliant storytellers. And the reason I bring this up is because all of the leaders that are listening, you've got your stories, you have good and bad, personal and business, yeah. that you've done, you understand, you know why and how, and they meant something. And They'll also mean something to a lot of other people. So as you as a leader are trying to connect with your vast teams that could be really dispersed, having some stories up your sleeve that are personal from your background, that can relate to your people. You know, if you're dealing with a sales team and they've had a hard time, I'm sure you've done that before in the past, but think about a story around that because the good thing about a good story is that it helps people emotionally connect to you. They can understand why you did certain things. They can say, hey, that's what I would have liked to have done. And as they do that, the empathy rises and you as a leader, they're more willing to listen to you. They, they see your integrity. They have belief in you because the story you told resonates with them personally. So one of the best things you can do, and it's not a project or anything else, is personally sit down and work on your own authenticity and those key stories that you can share with people to allow them to connect with you.
0: That's amazing. I, I didn't even think of of linking those two things together, but I'm just... um cheering on that idea because I, I agree so much the power of story I remember having the chance to um, to have a meal with with someone who is uh, you know speaks in front of about a million people every year and it just so happened that I ended up being able to be at a table with this person and I just the um, <laughs> the part of me that that's like always wants to find uh, maximize any opportunity just couldn't handle the fact that like there was no there was nothing attached to it we just ended up at the same table and and I turned and I said to them, because they're a speaker, that's what they do every day in, day out. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. I, I just can't help. Now, I'm sitting here next to you and I'm loving getting to know you and just chatting. But I have to ask, what is the key? Like, how do you speak to a million people? Like, what's one key around speaking publicly? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I remember he said to me, he said stories. And he said, when you tell a story, people can step into your shoes and actually experience mm-hmm. if you want if you want to experience you want to get that emotional connection the best way is to tell a story cuz people can step into your shoes and um i just thought that was that was gold and i love how you've connected it though to the everyday and i think every leader one skill that is worth a thousandfold in in terms of ROI is telling stories and there's a great book i think it's called the hero's journey or um if people google it around Mm -hmm. how to structure stories and um, it's really fascinating. If if people have heard this and gone, I really need to do this and you want to get a little bit nerdy about it because I love storytelling from (laughs) like a a script and there's um, uh, George Lucas actually wrote Star Wars, uh, one of the things that actually inspired him to write Star Wars and the way he wrote it was based on, I, th- I think it's called The Hero with a Thousand Faces or The Hero's Journey and it's actually a way older book that, that articulates this is how stories have been told. In different uh, locations, different cultures, forever, and actually, sort of um, explains that there's this way of writing a story, like where the story starts, and, and it's um, you're not going to use it. Is you're not going to have a movie level script for your story, but I found it really helpful as an example. Realizing that uh, a great story often has a moment of uh, of struggle and hitting the wall, and then there's an epiphany or a, or a guide, and so. I now, uh, and once again, this, this, some people might be um, zoning out at this is a, this is a bit too much, but if, if this is something people want to really press Mm -hmm. into, then you can think back to your own stories and think like exactly what you said, you're dealing with a sales team that's struggling with um, maybe they've got a deadline a couple of weeks away. What's the time in your life where you've really struggled and and you ended up hitting a deadline or not. And if you tell a story and you tell the, the story with emotion around how you felt at the different moments um, talk about the struggle because that's where people really lean in not just say and I've always you know really believed and done well to hit deadlines it's like that doesn't move anyone you've got to actually be vulnerable and share mm-hmm. authentically
1: yeah, most definitely
0: well I uh I would love to keep chatting about engagement and, and support but um Let's jump into Leadership Express and maybe at some point, Lisa, I'd love to invite you back for another episode and we can maybe we can drill down on, um, at that point, a, a topic that's really of interest to you or or where listeners have really said, I'd love to hear more about that, but um, just for the sake of time. So that invitation is there. I'd love to have you back another time.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'll enjoy that.
0: Yeah, it's been great. Let's jump into Leadership Express. So I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions. And uh, go as quickly as I can and just uh, give us the first sort of answer that comes to mind. You ready?
1: Okay, go for it.
0: Okay. What is a book that you've gifted a lot to other people?
1: There's been two, um, and one's old and one's new, ironically enough. I'm not trying to rhyme things there, but that's how it happened. (laughs) I like Um, it. One, the good old, (laughs) I know how it goes sometimes, the good old-fashioned Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes. I think if you read it properly, it makes you think. You know, it really makes you think about what you're doing. And because value-based leadership is so important now, I think it's becoming back in fashion again. The other one is The Opposite End of the Spectrum, which is the new one, which is by Andrew Bryant, who's a global speaker who specialises in self-leadership. So for those people out there who are moving into their first leadership role or who are questioning themselves, he has some great paradigms to really help you dig deep inside and work out what you do need to change or where you're really good and how you can structure it differently. And that's literally self-leadership. It's a very easy book to find online.
0: Brilliant. Self-leadership by Andrew Bryant and How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Love it. Uh, Any great podcasts that you're currently listening to or other sources that you're reading, watching or listening to?
1: I've started getting into um, Adam Grant lately from the US. He's got some really interesting insights just into what makes you tick as a person and what you should be questioning yourself on. That one's been really interesting lately.
0: Love it. What's a time management productivity tip or a tool or resource that you're using?
1: I think time management productivity, know what your goals really are first because a lot of people make a mess with this. Um, You can write a list of things to do but if you don't know where you're going and they're unimportant things that are on your list rather than important things, you're in trouble and really just drill down what is important to get through your day and focus on that first
0: yeah that's amazing uh I've been really leaning into that myself because I'm great at talking about it but doing it and actually writing things out I uh I've had mixed success and I've really been challenging myself and I've been loving the four disciplines of execution the idea of a wig a wildly important goal and um Mm-hmm. There's, uh, and I also love Patrick Lencioni's work, which is more based for teams, but it, he has this whole section in the advantage around asking what's most important right now. If I could only achieve one thing, or we could only achieve one thing in the next six months to be successful, what would it be? And I've been asking myself that personally. And that's just, those questions are great filters before you start getting into the minutiae mm-hmm. of what you actually need to do. Um, so I think goal setting is... Um, actually doing it and writing out goals, whatever the framework is, is, is a, great, uh, a great recommendation. Okay, a tip around work-life balance.
1: Uh, <laughs> I think this is a very personal thing. Um, work-life balance, I think, recognize what you need as a person first. And look, everyone's different. I think the, the big tip is make sure you break your workday up so you have some mental health space in there. And that can look different for everyone. Some people might want to exercise at lunchtime. Some people might want to exercise before work. Some might like to read a book. Some might like to search some podcasts and get some inspiration. Whatever that happens to be for you personally, break up your workday with it so that you can rest and recharge that little bit and you'll be so much better off for it.
0: That's amazing. You give great advice. I can see why you're a consultant now, Lisa. This is, uh, this is really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm honestly always surprised. I shouldn't be because I, I love um, chatting to the guests I have on and I'm always reaching out to people because I know they're, they're amazing, but I'm still always surprised just at the um, great pieces of advice. So I, I'm just really enjoying it. I'm being a listener myself right now and just enjoying what you're saying. Speaking of advice, what's one great piece of advice you've received at some point in your life Uh, life leadership?
1: One of, and it's probably more recent, but it's something I was probably doing unconsciously and didn't verbalise it, was be hard on the problem, not on the people. And I think that's really key in today's workforce because there's going to be a lot of problems, a lot of things are going to go wrong, but we can't tear apart the people. We've got to make sure they have the support and the tools to actually deal with it first, and then we've got to help them get through it. So that's one that I think I live by fairly strongly.
0: Yeah, that's actually got layers of um, genius to it because we can all think of leaders where they've been hard on us uh, and and on the problem, and that's unpleasant. If you don't feel like the leader has your back and is really investing in you, they've lost you, right? Trust. But we can also think of leaders that were easy on us but weren't actually um, hard on the problem either. They were actually just a bit too disconnected and a bit... And that's also unpleasant because you want... You want someone who's got your back, but also will push you. I think great people, anyway. If you want, if you want to keep great people, you need to be a leader that is hard on the problem and goes there, holds people accountable, and but but is really um, easy and, and gentle on the person and actually has their best interests. So, that's gold. Thank you. Okay, a, mo- a movie or TV show that really impacted you.
1: Oh, well, now that's a hard one for me to answer because I'm a sci-fi fan from years ago. So uh, most of mine are totally different from anything we're speaking about today. Oh, that's fine. Hit but us I with some it's...
0: sci-fi. What's a sci-fi? <laughs> I'd love to hear a sci-fi. I I, I read fantasy sci-fi books and uh, <laughs> I, that's my one of my ways of... Uh, like you said before, about finding that space for me, I can actually stop thinking about clarity in my business when I do that because a lot of the other times I'm always thinking about things in the back of my mind. Um, so, yeah, feel free. I'd, I'd love to hear a sci-fi recommendation if, uh, uh, if you're comfortable.
1: Yeah, I think um, it goes back more to books because a lot of these haven't been made into movies yet, but people like Simon Green have written some amazing deep space ones that really challenge concepts. Yeah. But I think what resonates with me is that the characters you know, while sometimes flawed and not, not the best, have an underlying integrity and set of morals that they live by. I think that's what influences me quite a lot with those types of genres.
0: Yeah, okay, Simon Green, love it. Uh, a quote that you're particularly fond of?
1: Now that's a hard question. I'm trying to think of one that I'm particularly fond of. Yeah, I when wish.
0: I when I ask that question, all quotes, I think there's something that happens for some reason uh, I don't know the physics of it, but all quotes disappear out of a person's mind when you ask them for one of their favourites.
1: how <laughs> <laughs> it works? Yeah, some of those difficult questions. I think for me, it's just always move forward. If you fall over, pick yourself up, get up, keep moving forward. Even if it's only half a step, move forward.
0: Brilliant. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say?
1: Hmm. Find yourself a good mentor.
0: See, that's good too. This is uh, this is unfair doing having this many great answers, Lisa. Uh, what's the? <laughs> oh,
1: thank
0: you. <laughs> no, it's honestly really good. I think people are going to love it. What's the best thing you're doing at the moment um, in your own business, but also maybe with other leaders that that leaders out there should should know about?
1: Oh, look, I think that that's an easy one: um, networking. I think, you know, we're going through so much change right now. Everything's happening. That If you have a good network or you're part of even a professional business network like one of the ones I'm involved in, Singapore, EGN, Executive Global Network, it opens your eyes to so many different ways of doing things. And we make sure we meet up at least once a month, sometimes more. But we have a lot of WhatsApp chats in between. And I tell you what, it gives so much, you know, connections, support, information. It, it's amazing. So make sure you have a network of some sort that works for you and look how you're going to expand it as well. Because the more you expand it, the the more sources of truth that you're exposed to.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, so for those who are really loving your advice and, and like I said, maybe thinking, oh, Lisa might be the person I need to uh, follow or connect with or even actually uh, work with because they're just hearing some of the things you're really passionate about going, you might be the person to help them where can they find you online
1: yep um super easy with my name lisa asquith you can find me on linkedin pretty easily because it's an unusual name or the business name is apex brs brs stands for business and restructure specialists and so there's obviously linkedin or the website there You can also, if people are keen to listen to more ideas and thoughts, I have a lot of podcasts um, available. So you can literally just ask for my name on your favourite podcast provider and you'll get a list of them that are run through IBGR Radio. And they're all business focused, all engaging your people for success and key tips and tricks.
0: That's perfect. Uh, that will be great for people to, to find out more. And, um, and just a reminder for those listening as well, we also have uh, at Clarity, we have a couple more podcasts because I know that, I know it sounds funny, but people who love podcasts are probably uh, here listening to podcasts. So make sure you go and check out Lisa's podcast and just uh, look up Lisa With in, um, Lisa Askwith in the, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, we also have the mm-hmm. Leadership question of the day where i just put a stone in your shoe and ask you a challenging question that's available and the john o white leadership podcast which is more just me giving thoughts on seven tips around well-being or, or different things like that um but i just want to finish today by by saying a massive thank you um to lisa i wasn't just um uh, just being silly saying how much I've enjoyed it, I, I honestly have just found a lot of the things you've said are getting the wheels turning in my head. And and I think it's really going to challenge and help listeners out there. So thank you so much for, for coming on, Lisa. It's been a real joy.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Jono. And as I said at the beginning, you know, anything I can offer out there that's going to help someone, I'm more than happy to do it.
0: or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, how to deal with difficult people, even if you hate conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again.